Yes, what's poppin'? It's your boy Shabazz the OG. Welcome to another segment of Flip Your Life. And today my guest is none other than Mr. Turn the Lights on himself, my brother. Rico Love. What's up, baby? What's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm great. I'm glad that we was able to catch up at this time. Yeah. You know, we've been having this conversation for the last few months. Yeah. Um, first of all, I appreciate you reaching out to me, the one that had this conversation with me on my platform. We wanted to do it Instagram live. Your schedule, my schedule, we kept missing. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized, you know, Grammy weekend was coming up, that's when I was like, wait a minute. We already had this conversation. What better place to have it than in LA, mm -hmm. Grammy weekend. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, just basically getting right into it, you wanted to bring awareness to the importance of the Grammys for our culture, you know, because, and I want you to tell me this, at one point, you know, and I won't name names because, you know, it was a lot of big names, a lot of prominent individuals, you know, we were talking about boycotting the Grammys and F the Grammys and, you know, it was just like, we ain't messing with the Grammys. First of all, why did that even come about? Why were people so hard against the Grammys? Because the Grammys weren't doing what I feel like they needed to do to make sure that they supported black creatives. So the arguments against the Grammys and them getting it, not getting it right all the time, I think that was pretty valid. The problem is we have to understand how to make change. And the issue that I have is everybody says, let's make a new Grammys. I'm not making a new, I built this one. My ancestors built this one. The influence of their music, of their culture, of their sound was the thing that influenced all of the artists, right. all of the acts. Everything that you see, everything that promoted the most, when you see the greatest Grammy moments, it's always a, a, a African-American artist, a person of color. I don't feel like it's our place to say, let's exit it. I think it's our place to say, it's time to come inside and fix something that belongs to us. The same as our country. When you look at our country, if somebody was to say, we should go back to Africa, I'm going to say, I'm not going to Africa. I'm going to go visit. I'm going to vacay. I'm going to enjoy my pleasures of Africa. Right, but this is home. But this is home. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be treated fairly in my home. So that's all I wanted to change the narrative of, and I want to educate people on how we can make those changes. You now, know what? That's impactful for you to say it because a lot of people retreat, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people be like, you know what? We getting out of here, not knowing that that's ultimately what's wanted anyway. They want you to give up. <laughs> people want you to, and I'm not just talking about the, the, the Grammy committee or the Grammy board. I'm just saying like life in general. general, general. When, you, when you making it, when, when somebody wants to oust you, and they don't really have the the real capability to do so, you know. They hoping you throw on the find a way to make you. Quit. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, they, you know, when 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 Floyd in that ring, somebody hoping he yeah he 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 run out of gas. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the thing that that I would love for everyone to know is that inside of the academy, there are many people, majority of the people are open and willing to hear. I haven't had any resistance right. since I joined the academy on things that initiatives I want to start. And things I want to do to make sure that we raise awareness of voting procedures, how to become a member. Right. I have not had one person try to stop or block that. So I think that it's a lot of misinformation and a lot of ignorance. And I think when people hear ignorance, they think of it and take a bad connotation and think that it's intentional. The most ignorant are the ones who have no clue that they're ignorant. So when you educate people, a lot of times their biases they don't even realize they have them. When you operate and function in white privilege for so long, sometimes it's so natural to you. Your grandmother, your grand great grandmother, your great grandfather. The whole it's it's such a, it's so generational that you don't even realize that you're living in and existing in it. It's so normal right. to you. So what I've 
done was I just came and educated people inside of the academy. But to be totally honest with you, and you know me, I keep it a bug. If I felt that it was some, be honest with you, every time I, I, I raise an issue, they're like, well, what can we do to fix it, Rico? Wow. They don't, now, they don't say like, no, we're not doing this or this is not happening. They're saying, wow, that does make sense. That's happening. Can you help us change it? And so let me ask you this. Did, did you become the vice chairman of the board of trustees of the Grammys? Because that's what he is. Mm -hmm. That's his title. Did you get that title before they started to concede to your concerns or did it come after? I'm be totally honest. So I, I was, I'm the first person in the history of the, the academy to go... I served one term as a governor in the Florida chapter. One term. After one term, I was elected to the board Let of trustees. Say that go the governor chapter. The chapter is is chapters, and it's thirteen different chapters. And so Florida, this is set up like a governing body. Yes, type of thing. yes, yes. So that's why when people think that it's just a bunch of white guys in a room voting for Taylor Swift, you know, that's just not that's how not it works. It. It's not how it works. So I was the governor for one term. After being governor, I jumped straight from governor, not to president of the chapter, not to secretary of the chapter. I jumped straight from governor to trustee of the national board. After one term as trustee of the national board, I was elected to vice chairman of the recording academy, the entire recording academy. So what you have to understand is when you go in there and you make noise and mm -hmm. you have an opinion and you have outlooks on things and perspectives on things that forces people and challenges people to change the way they see the world, the way they see the musicians, the way they see the artists. Um, it forced everybody to say, we have to elevate this person and we have to elevate him quickly. Right. So I'm not going to say I single-handedly changed the... No, I think that along with Harvey Mason Jr. being a CEO as a black man, okay. a creative, right. along with myself being a vice chair, you got Omos Keefe as the secretary treasurer, who's an incredible, accomplished Grammy Award-winning producer and songwriter. These are people who exist inside the business currently and actively who understand the way the business is moving currently actively. The difference is for many years there were people in those positions who weren't current and active in the music business and they didn't understand the climate. We outside, we go we we in the, we in the streets and when we when I say that I mean that in a way for anybody who don't understand what I mean, I means that I'm a part of the culture actively. I'm not a guy who is hiding out and and I'm I'm out here and I'm living and I'm existing and understanding what's going on and how the business is moving, right. how it's working, how the artists are talking, how they feel. And I can relate to them and I think that they connect to me in a certain way. One, because I'm not trying to keep up with a eighteen year old kid and be like him. I'm right. trying to Show him the things that I've done and show him how much I respect what he's done and, and what he's doing or he or she is doing. So that's what I mean by being a part of the culture. I think that when you have people who exist in powerful positions inside of any academy, you give that organization an opportunity to grow in the right direction. Because I know what the business was, I know what the business is, and I understand where the business could go, either left or right, right. wrong or right, right, wrong or right. So... As you speak about, you know, the culture, this is this is this is information and this is informative for for um for artists that because a lot of people had that notion that you spoke about a moment ago. Oh, it's just a bunch of white guys in the room and all they care about is Taylor Swift and all the white artists and they don't care about us as black artists. And a lot of artists need to hear that because I know when you first started having this dialogue with me, um, one of the first things you said was they need to understand how important it is. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'll ask you that question. What is the importance of voting 
for the Grammy? So first of all, there are three tiers. You have Grammy U, that's the beginning stage. That's for like kids in colleges and universities and for the youth to be involved with the Grammys. Different right. initiatives, different courses, different workshops, education on how the Grammy works. You have uh, a voting member. You have a professional. You have a professional member, and then you have a voting member. A voting member means you meet all the certain qualifications. You have had at least six releases. You are active in the music business, relevant in the music business currently on your time of registering and becoming a voting member. You fill out the form and application, and you have two people that co-sign you. Now, these two people could be your mother and your father if you want them to. Just have to be two people right. But if you find people you know in the music business who says. Shabazz is going to write a letter for me to say why I should be in the music business. Now, me, as the vice chair, I'm also on the membership committee. So when those names come up and I see Shabazz is my man, he co-signed Homeboy, I trust and know that his name and his word is his bond. He's not going to co-sign something gotcha. that's going to make him look bad. Gotcha. Then you become a voting member. And I'm going to tell you the issue that we're having. I look at 21 Savage. I look at, um, um, let's look at Travis Scott. Let's look at Wayne. Let's look at all of these artists. They run around with a bunch of creative, incredibly talented individuals. They're producers, they're engineers, um, all these people, the other writers in a room with them who have credits and who are actively relevant in the music business. Right. All of those people should be voting members. Everybody mm. in the room with you. If you run around with 10 guys and all 10 of those guys have written, produced, and experienced some type of... Uh, uh, Small or large success in a music business, in any capacity that meets the requirements, right? Right. If those people are around you every day, they should be voting members. They're active in the business and they're your people. Now, now I got 21 Savage and 20 of his friends. Then I got Travis Scott and 20 of his people. Got it. Then I got, now you got the culture involved in voting. And you know what, you know, <laughs> you know what that rings a bell with for me? I don't know if this was years ago. I think this is probably like 2000 five, six, when me and my man M and Philly started Colossal Entertainment and we was putting out Emilio Sparks first um solo project. And I re I forget I, we was in the studio in Philly and somebody, I think we might have been, you know you're in the studio, you feed ideas. And somebody said, all of y'all should have ASCAP cards. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I got a, I, I've had an ASCAP card for years. Yep. I got to ask me personally. I have one. I mean, I'm not a songwriter, but it'll come in handy if I happen to be if in a, you, if you in a session, a, or if you work out a situation with a, with an artist and you and, they, and the equity in it could be publishing for you. Right, now exactly. You, you're right away, and that happens, and that's okay. That's business. It could be a barter, whatever it is. But the point is, if everyone around me is a voting member, and everyone around you is a voting member, and everyone around you is a voting member, then that one, what happens is. When the voting, when it's time to vote, it comes to your phone. Go to your phone and just say, yo, bro, uh, today everybody, we voting for nominations. Everybody vote. Make sure that I'm nominated. Okay, the voting, I was nominated. We want to see who wins. Everybody vote for me. All future people vote for him. Kendrick people vote for him. These, everybody. And that's how we change the complexion. We got the power to do it. And I'm going to show you why it's different already. Look at mm. last year. Album of the year was a black man, John Baptiste. No, I tell think you about it. Think about this: Jasmine Sullivan, an R&B artist, got on the stage on TV and won her award. Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack got on stage and won their award on TV. And when I say TV, I'm gonna explain it to you shortly what I mean by that. 
They got on TV. D Miles accepted producer of the year on television. On television yesterday. When you look at the front few rows last year at the Grammys, it was black faces there. When I say TV, there's a pre-Grammy show that happens tomorrow early in the day. What is that? That's when you win certain awards that aren't televised. A lot of us have been on those shows and win the untelevised awards. Usher has never walked on stage and won a Grammy. That's unacceptable. That's ridiculous. He's iconic. He's probably the most influential and most incredible artist of our time, right? He hasn't been on stage to win a Grammy. So I can understand how somebody like that could feel a certain way about the Academy. But I want you to understand that people like me who understood and see the frustration from that person can go in and make sure that there are categories put in place to make sure that they are televised and make sure the black artists have an opportunity. Sweetie last year was up for Best New Artist. There are tons of black artists this year up for Best New Artist. So when we look at that, we're saying we have a true opportunity to be seen and heard. We have the playing field can be leveled only if we vote, though. So if we make up 85% of the market share, we make up all, if hip hop and R&B makes up the most streamed content on the planet. Right. But we only made up at one point 13% of the voting. Now we're up to 33 and I think it's going to be higher than that. And that's since Belisha Butterfield Jones came in position um, as the president uh, of the Recording Academy, of African-American woman. She's no longer at the Academy, but she came and did some incredible things. That's after the BMC was created by Riggs Morales and Jerry O. Johnson and Harvey Mason Jr., which I am now the chair of the, of the Black Music Collective. That's after all of these initiatives were put in place to make sure that we are active in the community. I created the HBCU Love Tour. We go to historically black colleges and universities, educate wow. them on how the Grammys work. We okay. talk to people about different initiatives. We have our BMC Honors, which we had the other night. I honored Lil Wayne, Sylvia Rome, Missy Elliott, and Dr. Dre. Snoop Dogg comes and performs. Buster Ryan performs. Tiger performs. 2 Chains performs. Chloe Bailey comes perform. Like, it's an incredible event. Sierra performed like it was amazing. Yeah, I saw and that's the one where Wayne gave was, a speech. Wayne, Wayne gave a speech and was emotional. So they never give us anything. So that's changing and we're turning the tides. That was the impact. The impact. impact yeah, yeah. I global global impact. Award. I saw that. So saw which that. is now now going to be named the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award. That's dope. We named it after Dr. Dre. That's so dope. if you're saying to me, "Fuck the Grammys," then I'm going to ask you, "How does the Grammys work?" Right. Now, I mean, if you and that's can't why this... tell me how the Grammys work. No, for sure. Then we can't. We can't say, "Man, fuck, fuck Shabazz." We... Well, tell me some about Shabazz. Why you say that? Yeah, help me say it with cause, you. Because my homeboy said he don't fool with him. That's exactly what's happening. Got my it. favorite artist says that they don't like the Grammys. Now, let me give you. I mean, let me, let's make it uh, totally plain. A lot of your favorite artists have probably had reasons. So not like the, the Grammys. No, for sure. When I look at Usher and I look at what I feel like he deserved from the Recording Academy, I feel like he did not get what he deserved from the Recording Academy. When I look at Album of the Year, never won at the Album Grammy. of the Year. Usher never won Album of the Year at the Grammy. The year that Usher was up for Album of the Year on Confessions, we lost to Ray Charles. Ray Charles had died that year. The movie Ray was coming out. Hold on. Stop. Confessions went diamond, didn't it? Diamond, 29 million worldwide diamond in the U.S. Diamond in the U.S. alone. By the way, let's just, okay, let me break down to you. I'm glad you brought that up. That's an incredible point. The Grammys is not based on the sales of your project. That's the Billboard Awards. If you want to win a Billboard Award, then you talk to me about your numbers. 
The Grammys has nothing to do with your numbers. If that was the case... It's strictly votes. Strictly votes. But let me tell you, it's voted by your peers. It's voted by other music creatives. So when somebody comes to me and say, Lil Baby had the best album. And I'll be like, yeah, he might have had the... Or the biggest album. Yeah, he might have had the biggest album. But you have to understand that there are musical creators in that room who aren't existing in the culture the way that he exists. So if somebody says, J Electronica, Freddie Gibbs, Nas, King's Disease is a better album to me, right? If that room says, this album feels better to me, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say which one is actually better. I'm not trying to say that Lil Baby's album is not as good as those albums. What I'm saying is, is a room full of creative people who are saying, I like King Disease, I like Freddie Gibbs' project, and I like J Electronica's project, written, produced, whatever it was. Right. They are voting for that based on the merit of the work. Again, this is not saying that Lil Baby's work is not deserved that. But the argument can't be, it's bigger. This is the Grammys. The Grammys is not about what's bigger. And that's the blessing of the Grammys. Because a group like the Internet can win Best R&B Album, who was an underground group. An artist like PJ Morton, who has four Grammys without having one smash hit at radio, is because it's a group of creative people who respect the honesty and purity of the work. And they're judging it based on how good they feel the work is. Now, sometimes the biggest album is the best album. Sometimes the best rap album or the best rap song or the best whatever, Kanye West could win those projects because it was the biggest and we all can agree that it was probably the best, right? Right. But sometimes the most obscure artists may make the most incredible record. And they have a chance to exist inside of the Recording Academy. And I think that that's an incredible thing. Because when you got groups like King, when you got groups like Jackson Ave, young R&B groups, they have an opportunity to be heard in those places. Now, do the, do the Grammys get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nobody gets it right all the time. Right. Somebody's right, always right. going to be upset. But at the end of the day, I would rather be in a position to... Make sure that they get it right, mm -hmm. rather than being in a position to criticize it when they don't. I'm glad you, I didn't know this conversation was going to be this good for me because information is key, right? Yeah, education is everything. And as I'm sitting here, this is just me, Shabazz. Now I feel like this is just another element, right, of our power, mm -hmm. our control. Mm -hmm. And us having more of a voice than we give ourselves. Yeah. So now it's like if I, like you said, if somebody say, "Well, fuck the Grammys," now I could say to them, "Why? Why?" Right. And then I could say, "Boom, boom, 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 boom." If you do this, it, it's the same thing as every as everything else. If we come, come on, <laughs> if we do what we supposed to do, we come yeah. together like we supposed to. Come on. We change the complexion of everything. Come on. Just I'm like so much more. I said in my speech the other night at the BMC on Recording Academy Honors, I said, I'm not fighting for a seat at the table. Right. Let me tell you why I'm not. Because my ancestors built the table. I'm claiming my inheritance. Ooh, talk heavy. I'm not coming here to say to you. Talk heavy. I, I deserve to be here because I, it's not even I deserve. I don't care what I deserve. It's mine. I, it's mine because my ancestors made it. It's mine. They made it. It don't exist without them. Even when we wasn't even allowed in the in the buildings to celebrate ourselves. It was ours. It was ours. No question. 
No, so I'm, so cool. I'm not. I don't want us to keep feeling like we. What I'm saying is like we we deserve to fight. No, bro, this is yours. Yeah, we're pe- not asking. We, we built this. So yeah. the problem is the perception is that there's a room full of people who are saying let's keep black people out. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain time, I'm sure that that room existed that said, let's keep black people out. What I'm telling you is I'm in the room now and I'm in a position of power now and I'm only going to be stronger and stronger. And I'm telling you that when I speak to them about the issues, a lot of those people in the room, the majority of that room is saying to me, Rico, help us fix it. Shabazz for Grammy board member. No, that's it's possible. <laughs> it's possible to join your chapter and work your way up. It's very possible. That's not a that's not even a joke. If you want to be involved, you go to your local chapter, you find out, all right, if I live in you say, Well, they don't have a local chapter in Missouri. Then they say, Well, what's the closest? Then they'll say Chicago. So how can I be involved with the Chicago chapter? Right. So you go to the Chicago chapter, you speak to the E D, which is the executive director in the Chicago chapter. I'm giving you guys the steps on what to do. And you say, I want to be involved. And you say, and they'll say, cool, here's our meeting times. When This is when this is happening. Are you a voting member? How can we get you involved? You keep doing the work. You keep doing the chapter and This is work. around the country. Around the country. You keep doing the work. You keep doing the work. You do enough work. And they say, hey, we would love for you to be on the board, on the chapter board. Oh, I would love to be on the board. How can, how would I, can I serve? You can serve as a governor. You can serve as this. And then you go to, and you can be elected your way up to the top of that chapter. This takes time. And that's okay. Everybody's not going to go from governor to trustee to vice chair. Right, for sure. But what I'm telling you is, if you want to be active, if you want to make sure that our voices are heard and there are initiatives put in place to make sure that we are put to the forefront, it's work you can do on all levels. Voting is number one. Chapter work is number two. And being um, um, in positions of power to change the rules and the bylaws, like the trustees, like the, like the vice chairmen, like the chairmen, like the you know people in position of power. Is ways you can do that. It just takes time. It's just, just like in anything, it takes time. Process. We're going to switch gears before I let you get out of here, right? You won two Grammys, nominated for two more, if I'm not mistaken, right? Born in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Raised between Milwaukee and Harlem. Now, this segment of that I'm doing is... Is, is spent off of my book, Flip Your Life. And whether you're a business person, whether you're an athlete, whether you're an entertainer, entertainer, at some point in everyone's lives, you reach the point where you realized, I need to go in this direction and not direction. It's time for me to flip my life. Like that's what this whole Flip Your Life thing is about, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to hear something and I want you to tell me where you were at this point in your life. <laughs> this is your first record you ever wrote, from what yeah. I understand, and it ended up on Usher's album. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you at in life? All right. So I was signed to Usher as a rap artist. I didn't sing, I didn't write R&B songs. I was a rap artist. I wanted to be the next Jay Z. That's what I thought I was going to be in my career. I did a deal with Usher. Subsidiary was Usher Records. We did a label deal. And it was a J Records. People think you get a record deal and you get a bunch of money. I was struggling. I didn't have nothing. I hadn't even gotten an advance yet. I mean, we hadn't been, we hadn't been, our deal with J Records hadn't closed yet. 
So I was like six, seven months on the label with no money. So I would show up to Usher's office every single day and say, bro, what's up, bro? I need some paper. He said, Usher not here. Next day I show up. <laughs> Usher, Usher's not in right now. Usher, Usher not here. I come every day. Wait, bro, what's going on? One day I show up. He said, Usher not here. I said, man, I'm going to wait, bro. Wait in that lobby. It's 7 o'clock on the dot. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm in my drop top, right? <laughs> so, so I'm waiting, and Usher shows up. And I'm like, bro, by the way, it's respectfully. I wasn't trying to press Usher. I was just right, you was hungry. To, I was hungry. I wanted to. So I'm waiting, and he comes in. And he said, what's up? What's going on? I said, bro, I need some money. I'll be honest with you. I need some help. Because you got to understand, Usher put me on MTV Diary with him. He put me on How I'm Living. Everywhere he went, I would just go with him. So my family is watching me, on, and they thinking... Oh, we're gonna have a good Christmas. This is before the this wonderful before, Christmas is coming. By the way, this is before <laughs> social media because social media w- kind of educated people. People know that artists don't have it like they think. People are way too educated, in my opinion, about the music industry. But in my back in the day, you saw me watch, everybody thought I was rich. They thought, Absolutely. oh, he got a deal. Because when I was a kid, I thought, did he sign an artist? He gave him a million dollars. I mean, right. I just thought that that was the way it goes. That's how it go, right? So Usher said, I could give you some money. Is exact word. I could give you some money. And you just spend the money. Then you're going to need some more money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to make your own money. And he played his track. And he said that um, we've been trying to write to this beat for a long time. Nobody can write to it. I want you to write this song. Write a song for me. His exact, exact words to me was, I'm going to sell 10 million. You'll be good. You write a song on this album, you'll be good. Mm. And he gave me the track, and I was going to write a rap to it. And my my manager, Vincent Cersei, at the time, he's my manager. He's still one of my best friends in the world today. He said to me, you better not write no rap. Write a song. And I sat in a car outside of Red Zone Studios in Atlanta. Cersei from Crown World? Yep, Crown Shout World. Shout out Cersei. I've, um, I've had a flip phone, and I had a recording thing on it. And I sang, you never miss a good thing to the lead. I sang the song in my phone because I didn't write raps. I always just kind of came, you know. So I just flipped it and I wrote the song. And Pierre Mador usually would demo them for me, but that night he was too busy. And I was like, yo, Usher need the song. And JQ came and demoed the song for me. And anybody who doesn't know what that means is I wasn't a singer back then. So right, referenced it. He referenced the song for me. He right. sang it like how Usher should sing it, sing it, and put no, it. No, you said it right. He sang it. He yeah. sang it. <laughs> and he, he sang. And he, yeah, right. <laughs> and he put it on the CD for me, and I gave it to Usher, and everybody heard it. And it was like, oh shit, this is really good. He took the song and he cut the song. So when I hear that song, I think about instantly in that moment. My life was different, and I'm gonna tell you. Your life flipped. I'm gonna, my life flipped, and I'm gonna tell you how much it flipped. Usually, when you do a publishing deal, because they offered me a publishing deal after I wrote the song. Right. Um, at first, they offered me a deal that wasn't wasn't a good deal. So, because I had been in rooms with Brian Michael Cox, rooms with Jazzy Faye, rooms with you understand when I came up in the business, I would be working in this room. Dream, nobody knew Dream, nobody knew me. Dream was in another room. Carrie Hilson is in another room. Nobody knew her. Sierra would come from high school every day, pulling up to the studio, bringing us food. And that was our little sister. Nobody knew any of us. Keisha Cole was trying to, we trying to find records for Keisha Cole. She had just got signed. It was a whole group of creatives who had nobody ever heard of. We were just all working in this community. But we learned the business that way. So when I got my first offer for a publishing deal, I didn't take it because I thought it was, it was a bad situation. Mark Pitts told me, 
Rico, figure out something because you're going to miss out. And this song needs to be on the album. He fought for that song. But I said, I'm not taking a publishing deal if it's that. It's a bad deal. We worked out a deal that made sense. It was a fair deal. Mm-hmm. It was a three-song deal for 85000 with 36000 up front or something like that. And three songs means three 100%. So if you write a song and you only get 20% of the song, you have not turned in one song yet. You've turned in 20% of one song. Got it. So you, in order to make three songs, you have to equal 100% three times. So the first thing that was offered to me was a 20-song deal. <laughs> so that would have been I had to turn in 40 complete. <laughs> so um, I negotiated the terms. But the song, the album was so big, and I'm going to show you why I'm trying to go all that into that backstory. The album was so big, and, the, and that song, and I co-wrote a song called Seduction also on a, on a um, Confessions album. But the album was so big that I had recouped the entire publishing deal off of one song that I wrote. That's how big the album was, that it paid my whole deal off and then some. So I'm broke still because the first 36000 they gave me, I think I spent that in like a week and a half, you know what I mean? Magic City and doing goofy yeah, shit. Gotta go to Magic City. Doing. Gotta you know? go to Magic City for sure. <laughs> so, so I end up writing an album called uh, "I Write It in the Mix." Usher did a movie and I did the soundtrack. I wrote a lot of the songs on the soundtrack. Um, so I remember thinking to myself, I had seven dollars to my name, and seven is, after the record. This is after Throwback comes out because we hadn't been paid our royalties yet. It takes a while, mm-hmm. and and we and the album was in dispute for a very long time. You can look that up to figure out what that means because it's too stressful to even talk about. But I was in dispute for a long time, so nobody had gotten paid for, for a while, which is good sometimes because when that money builds up, it's held in escrow. So if it's something is in dispute, once it's released, it's a floodgate. It's a floodgate of money. <laughs> right? It's a floodgate. And it was. Yeah. So because my deal was recouped, I had did this in the mix album. So I had $7 to my name. My man Money said, let's go to the grocery store. We hungry. We starving. We need something to eat. I said, bro, we got $7. That's all we got. He said, I can make it work. We go in there, bro. I said, if it go a dollar over seven, I'm walking out of here. I'm not going to be embarrassed in this public. You know what I mean? We get to the register. We bring up two things. We had four items. We bring up two things. The second one said 685. I walked straight out the door. <laughs> he was left there. Had to put stuff back, all that. We get to the house. I get a check. That's back when your check used to come in these packets like this. I get a check. It say $175. I fall on the floor. I start crying. I said, $175? Like, what the... I mean, I could eat today, but damn, like, I was just frustrated. Like, I wrote this out. I wrote on Confessions. Everybody telling me I'm the, I'm the next guy. I'm walking around in Atlanta. People treat me like I'm royalty because I wrote this song that everybody loves. And I got $175, and I cried. I'm crying. Jada Kiss jumped on the record. Yeah. Money picks up the packet, and he opens it up, and he says, nigga, this is $175,000. And I said, oh, shut the fuck up. When you open up the packet, all you saw was the one seventy five. All you saw was the one seventy five. And I thought it was a period, but it was a comma. Comma. <laughs> so that's my... the difference between the period and the comma <laughs> and the money, y'all. So 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 I literally, because Confessions had recouped my deal, then all of the songs that I did on the In the Mix album were paid directly to me and not to my publishing deal. Because had that song not been album not been so big, then all of the money, majority of the money from the In the Mix soundtrack that I wrote would have been going to recoup the 85k that I had gotten in advance. Because the album was so big, I ended up getting not only recouping it but recouping it plus 180, 175. 
So that's how big that moment was. So when I hear that song, it's a whole plethora of emotion because that was a moment in my life where literally $7, I couldn't eat. I couldn't feed myself. And instantly, life changed for me. And from that point forward, it just kept going up and up and up. And we had our lows and all that. But I, obviously, right. in the beginning, it was just like an, a new journey, a new experience of discovering the possibilities of the gift that I was given. Shout out to Usher for helping my brother flip his life. Yeah, yeah. man. And before we go, ironically, we end up in this room. This room is crazy because this is the room, Sunset Marquee, shout out to my man, Mams Taylor. We wasn't supposed to be here. We was at a different location. Yeah, yeah. My man, Wayne Johnson, shout out to Wayne. Wayne hit me like 4.30 this morning, LA time. Baz, would you like to go here instead? I didn't even know what the other location looked like. So I said, Wayne, it's up to you. He said, I think because it's a studio, it'll be fit Rico more better. I said, no problem. Let's do it. Yeah, I had no idea. So this room the etymology right here, behind the room. This room right here, my man Mams Taylor, he wanted to be an artist, and I met him through Rodney Jerkins many years ago. I come out here and I, I moved into his house. We had a mansion in, in Beverly Estates in Shangri La. So we're living out here, and we booked this studio every single day for a year and a half. This room, this very room, for a year and a half, and this is the room where I created the term "turn the lights on." I used to go to a club up the street called Area. I think it's called something different now, but it was called uh, it was called like Greystone at one point. I don't know what it is now. I remember Greystone. But before it was Greystone, it was called Area. And and my man Mams was a part owner of that club. So we would go every Wednesday and it would be the biggest parties, you know, big names, Kim Kardashian, Lindsay Lohan, everybody who was popping at that time around 06. And um, we would be out here and we'd be working. And there was a club by Pink, it was a song by Pink Floyd that come on called The Wall. Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Mm -hmm. And the lights would go crazy in the club. And I would say, turn the lights on in my head. Like I would always say that. So one day, anytime a climactic part of a song would come on, I would say, turn the lights on. So when I got in the studio one day, I just said it. And my man Mams was like, yo, you should say that in all the songs you write. That's dope. He just said it in passing. In this very room, I was in that booth right there. And I started saying it in every song. And I started saying, turn the lights on. So turn the lights on was created in this very room that we're doing this interview in. Man, Shabazz made history today. You dig? <laughs> I appreciate your time, brother. Love, I know you bro. got a lot to do. It's Grammy weekend. You got a lot of red carpets to walk on. Events to attend. You know, this was monumental for us both. You yeah, know, man. so I appreciate yeah. the conversation and the education, you know, on the Grammy. So, you know, hopefully y'all be able to take this information that he provided, you know, and understand once again, it has been shown, you know, by us, for us, that we hold the cards. That's real. Thanks for joining me, brother. Y'all be easy. We gone. Thank you, bro.